Hey everybody, this is Dr. William Clark here for Leadership Conversations. This is the show where we talk about leadership according to the world that matters to you. And I'm pretty excited. I have my good friend, Dr. Uh, are you a doctor, Galen? I am not. I am not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. I got... <laughs> I got Galen Bingham on the call, guys. Galen joined me earlier this year uh, when I started out uh, the Leisure Conversation show uh, as a solo project, and Galen was one of the earlier guests on the show, and so I'm just really excited that he uh, decided to join me today. Galen, what is going on, my friend? I'm just living, living my best life, man. This has been an incredible time. Uh, we are uh, actually doing some amazing things as we step into this leadership space full time. Uh, I think when you and I were talking, I was still wearing multiple hats. And uh, now I get to think and discuss and improve leaders all over the world uh, full time. So I'm really excited about it. I'm I'm so glad to hear that. And of course, um, you know, the things you were sharing with me earlier, just, um, you know, the businesses that you've been involved in, the businesses that you're working on. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually inspired. And when I get home, I'm going to talk to my wife about um, what you share with me, man, because like, we love that store. Um and we go there as often as we can with the kids. They enjoy the the, the products there, and so it, it put a smile on my face to know that you and your wife were into that space. But you know, of course, you're moving on to do more of what you love to do, and that is talk about leadership. So um, today we're talking about leadership, but instead of this being an interview, Galen and I wanted to talk about um, a particular leadership quote that he pointed out to me, and Galen pointed out. Uh, a book that he's reading, 200 Powerful Leadership and Personal Excellent, Excellence Quotes. Uh, who's the author uh, of this book, Galen? Do you know? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I know who that is. That, that's me, Galen Bingham. Uh, uh, let, let's... <laughs> <laughs> a leadership fable companion, 200 Powerful Leadership and Personal Excellence Quotes. Uh, it actually came out earlier this year. And really, really excited about it because it gives me an opportunity to just, uh, you know, share all these quotes that have inspired me for years and uh, put them all into one place and have conversations with smart people like like you. Well, I'm, I'm glad you know who the author is because that uh, that makes this a little bit more personal. Guys, you need to go out and get this book. And um, Galen sent me a screenshot of, of a particular chapter or page he wanted to to highlight. And um, there were three on that particular page that I saw, but then there was this one that just stood out to me. And we're going to be talking about quote number 18. Um, now, now, Galen, before we get started, why does it say beans wall quote number 18? What does that mean? Yeah, very good, very good. So th this book is a companion to my primary book, which is a leadership fable, uh, and it's uh, about uh, a group of people uh, that, uh, while they're in school, while they're in college, they take refuge in a coffee shop where they uh, get together, uh, very consistent with my college experience, they get together and solve all of life's problems, and, and uh, the shop owner has lined the walls with 200 inspirational quotes from authors, from leaders, from uh, uh, musicians, from just everyone from all walks of life. 
And so the quotes from the wall are a big part of that story. And this is the one place where you can see all of those quotes in one place. And uh, not only do I just share the, share these 200 quotes, but there are tools in the back for how you can make these quotes part of your life to inspire you to do amazing things in whatever field uh, you might be in. So that's kind of the, the backstory behind uh, the, the coffee shop's uh, name is Beans. And so these are Beans wall quotes. Wow, that, that is so dope, man. And um, as a uh, coffee drinker, uh, I can um, attest to the importance of coffee shops. As, a, as an aside, I really wasn't a coffee drinker in college, but I will say, um, you know, as I've grown in my career, coffee shops have become my place of refuge. It's become that office space that I've needed when I needed to connect with people or to meet with folks or to get away and just get stuff done. So for those of you, those emerging leaders who are listening and you're trying to figure out where to start your business, uh, how to start the business, perhaps you might want to consider going to the local coffee shop and uh, the rent's free unless you get a coffee a day, which means you're paying about two fifty a day for rent with free internet and a, and a warm atmosphere. But I can tell you, Galen, just for me, it's just been a, a, a sweet place of refuge. I continue to use it on a regular basis. And in fact, after this, this show, I'm going to be meeting with someone at the coffee shop just to connect, to talk, to meet, to hash out some things, man. It's just always a great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, there, there's some, for me, there's something about, there are two places. The coffee shop is one of them and my barber shop is the other where. Wow. When I, when, I, when I go to those places, for whatever reason, I feel smarter. Everyone around me seems smart. Uh, we talk about amazing things. And, uh, you know, the, the, joke, the running joke, uh, especially during any kind of political campaign, uh, when you've got people running for office, the, the running joke is they just need to come down to the barbershop. We can tell them how to run things. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Problem that they have. If you come to the barbershop or to a coffee shop, uh, they can get all the answers they need. Man, that is so true, bro. Listen, let's dive into this um, this quote number 18. Um, I'm, I want to read this for the audience here, and uh, we'll put it up on the screen as well, Galen. But here's a quote. The quote says, remember the thoughts that you think and the statements you make regarding yourself determine your mental attitude. If you have a worthwhile objective, find the one reason why you can achieve it rather than hundreds of reasons why you can't. This is by Napoleon Hill. So, um, Galen, I want to have a conversation about this quote. And it might be interesting just to kind of go back and forth, breaking down um, each segment of this quote, if that makes sense to you. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Uh, and actually, that's 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 the this is the whole purpose why I created this is to have conversations. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. So let's start here, Galen. You start off this. Uh, uh, well, Napoleon Hill starts off this quote by saying, remember the thoughts that you think. When, when you think about. Thoughts of oneself, what, what comes to mind and why is it important that we need to evaluate our own thinking about our own self. Yeah, you know, this is uh, first Napoleon Hill 
um, th- this guy was out, I think, in the 19, I don't know, 1930s, 1920s. And he interviewed the brightest folks of his day. He interviewed Thomas Edison. He interviewed uh, Andrew Carnegie. He interviewed everyone that he could think, Henry Ford, everyone that he could think of that, that at the time was considered to be successful or brilliant or genius level in their field. He actually interviewed them and he tried to distill uh, his findings down to principles that everyone could follow in order to uh, be successful themselves. And so this was coming out of one of his landmark books, which is called Think and Grow Rich, which is an amazing book. And, right. uh, and, and, and that's what this is really talking to, the fact, the fact that we all, uh, we all talk to ourselves. We all have an internal dialogue. And research shows that 63% of all of our talk, self-talk, is negative and self-critical. So we are living in a world that is programming us to think in terms of need and, and, and want and lack, because that's the only way that commerce happens is if we need and want something. So if we're not mindful of the thoughts that we're thinking, then um, we fall prey to every marketer. We fall prey to every politician. We fall prey to anyone that's trying to get us to uh, part with our resources and do something that they want us to do rather than, rather than uh, you know, us having command over our own actions or, or over our own thoughts. So for me, that first part of, of thinking about the thoughts that we have is really, really important. Uh, because most of us live live uh, out of autopilot. Uh, few of us really think about the thoughts that we have. Wow, man! You know that that's so interesting. And and, and let's go back to the beginning of the sentence where he says, "Remember." Uh, and and it, for me, it sounds like it felt like he was trying to get us to go back to a a, a genesis of a concept which is you have to remember that the very first person that speaks to you, the very first person that says anything to you, the very first person that is able to communicate with you is you. When I see the remember piece, Galen, I reflect on the fact that when I wake up in the morning and everybody is asleep, it's 4.30 in the morning, it's just me and my thoughts. I'm the first person that is speaking to me in the morning. I'm the first person to uh, welcome me to a brand new day. I'm the first person um, to to review my agenda or to review emails or voice messages or text messages or or social media posts. And it, I'm reading these things to me. And when I look at this quote, the whole remember these thoughts is essential to saying that you're the first person that's going to speak to you in 100% of cases when you have to make a decision or you have to do something that may have a consequence. Absolutely. I mean that that is it, man. I, I love I love having smart friends because you're you're absolutely right. Um you know, I, I have even gone as far as to say I think along along the lines of what you what you're saying, uh, I've gone as far as to say that nothing has meaning until I give it meaning in my own head, 
right? Yeah. So uh, it, you 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 make a statement and you know what you're intending for it to mean, but it means nothing to me until I determine what it means to me. Yes. And the, just like what you said, I mean, you are the you are the one that decides whether you're going to have a good day. You're the one that decides the things that you're going to do. I don't subscribe to this notion that we are all uh, victims to the world and we are all victims to the society. No. Well, I'm a victim if I decide to be a victim, but it's really my decision or lack thereof that carries the day. And and that is predominated by the thoughts that I have. Why do you think we find it easy as people to forget that we speak to ourselves first? Because you just talked about falling prey to the thoughts of other people, determining how to internalize them. Why is it that it's so easy for us to forget that we're the first voice we hear every morning, every day of our lives? Wow. Man, I wish I'd asked. <laughs> you can ask me that question. <laughs> I'd love to get your I'd love to get your perspective on that very question. Let, let me share my my thoughts. Here are, here are my thoughts. I think most of us are extremely insecure. I, I think most of us. Uh, I think most of us, most of the time, we believe that someone else has the answer. And mm. if if we come if we come up with if we come up with an idea or a thought. Very frequently, we have to get we we search for endorsement from someone else before we move on that thought. Uh, and what's so funny is other people are doing that too, right? Other people are coming to us looking for us to endorse their thoughts. And if we just follow our instinct instincts, most of the time we're going to be okay. Um, you know, you know, another talk that I did on another show. Uh, I said, uh, you know, we, we often get paralyzed by uh, from making a decision um, because we're afraid of making a mistake. And the reality is, once you make a decision, if it's the wrong thing, we're just going to adapt. We're going to find another way to get where we need to go if we make a mistake. But we get so paralyzed on the front end and allow that um, uh, p- paralysis to keep us from making a decision.
That's it. That's it. Uh, you know, I, I, you know to, to your point, man, I've, I've thought something similar about social media. Man. All, all, all of social, most of social media is Photoshop, right? Wow. Every, everyone takes a picture in front of the Bentley and then they airbrush uh, the birthmark that they've never felt good about. And then they, they, they drop in a, uh, a beautiful spouse or girlfriend or a boyfriend or someone on their arm and, and and then they uh, uh, Photoshop whatever, and then we look at that and we compare this Photoshop against our real life. Our Honda Civic. <laughs> they have 1.3 million yeah. followers, and it must be real, right? Yeah, and it's 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 all it's all manufactured, man. Man, it's. And it's no different from the time our parents grew up where, you know, so-and-so had a, a nice car parked outside and it looks like they're doing well. The outside of the house is painted, the, but the moment you visit it, the inside of the house, got roaches all over the place, laundry's undone, dishes are, are, are dirty, paint's chipping, you got uh, a leaky faucet, leaky ceiling. And here you thinking that you're not doing anything because they got a Cadillac in the driveway and you got an Oldsmobile. Right, it's, it's the perception, but now for current generations, we go from comparing Cadillacs to Oldmobiles to you know Instagram posts to determine who has the best filter, best pictures, who has the best life, who's doing X, Y, and Z, and that insecurity starts to eat us up, man. It it it, it is it does, man. It it really does. You know, I'll share this about, with you. Go ahead. No, I was I was gonna say you know one one of my um, one of the shows I used to watch uh, years ago I don't I don't watch very many game shows anymore but years ago I used to watch this show uh, called Deal or No Deal and I believe it's getting ready to make a comeback they're getting ready to bring it out again but I, I read this uh, I read this article I think it was in Harvard Business Review it talked about Deal or No Deal. And I'm like, wow, you know, it's kind of cool. Let me read about the show that I used to watch. And they talked about that particular show and how it's, you know, very, very popular and had all the success. But in reality, the contestant really only has to make one decision. And so this entire show is based upon the contestant making one decision. And that one decision is which briefcase do you want? Which, which number do you want? And then the rest of the episode is based on trying to get the contestant to second-guess themselves, right? And so that's, the, mm. that's really the rest of the show is what will it take to get you to second-guess yourself? So I think that the same is true for all of our lives. We, we, we all hopefully make one decision. That one decision is how will I do this thing called life? And then the rest of our experience here is uh, based on marketers, based on whatever, trying to get you to second guess your decision to do what they would want you to do rather than what you've already decided. They, they're trying to get you to, to select a different suitcase or to sell your suitcase or whatever the case might be to stay with that deal or no deal uh, analogy. Wow. Wow. That's, that's interesting, man. And, so when you look at that analysis and, and, and see, all right, they're just making one decision. Do you think um, business is like that? It's about one decision 
or is it about multiple decisions and life being more complex than the the manufactured uh, experience of dealing no deal game shows like that? Yeah, uh, that that is a, that's a multi layered question, I believe, or at least the question requires a multi layered answer. I, I think to a certain degree, uh, every leader makes one decision as to how they're going to lead. What type of a leader are you going to be? Uh, and it's 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 a very simple question. You know, are you going to be command and control? Uh, are you going to be participative? Uh, are you, do you have principles? And if so, what are those principles? So once you make that decision, or at least the better leaders make that decision, then the rest of it is: what are you willing to give? Uh, what are you? What are you willing to take in exchange for this one decision that you've made? Uh, because everyone, 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 uh, uh, to quote Mike Tyson, which I never thought I'd ever do, but, uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. And so you've got your plan, you've got your vision, you've got your values, you've got your principles, whatever that one decision is. But then when life or business punches you in the face, are you prepared to change that one decision? And it keeps coming back to that principle for me. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, I think that that holds true. Now, obviously, um, you know, you're, you're going to consider a, a number of factors, uh, if you're running a business, especially if it's a complex business and there are going to be a number of things that's going to, that you're going to weigh. Uh, but at the end of the day, it comes down to, are you going to change that one decision? Or are you going to stick? Are you going to stick with it? Wow. Wow, man. That's, that's, that's interesting. And now, how, now, now, how about you, man? You, you. This is a conversation. So, what, what's your, what's your take on 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 this whole uh, leadership approach, uh, whether or not a business is about making one decision, or uh, do you surround yourself with smart people and continue to listen to the data as it comes in? Man, I think that. Leadership is a series of one decisions that continuously play itself out over and over and over again. I think that we have an opportunity to make one decision that has a ripple effect upon future decisions that we have to make. And um, if viewed from that lens, then, and I I don't want to, oversimplify this but you do simplify the leadership process quite a bit Uh, what I found over my years is that when I try to make a series of decisions and one at least one of those decisions don't pan out as planned then that has a ripple effect on everything else I recently decided upon and I have to possibly undo everything I just decided I was going to do so I think um, as I coach my teams and as I coach emerging leaders, it's about one smart decision at a time, finding out the outcome of that decision. Because even if it's a smart decision, it may not be the best decision for a number of reasons that you don't know about in the moment. So as the as the decision is made and as the outcomes are um, presented to you, then you're able to make future decisions based upon one decision that you made prior to. Yeah. I like that. 
It, r- it reminds me of a conversation that I had uh, about three weeks ago where, uh, you know, the guy basically said, I, I, call, I, I hardly ever call into it into online talk shows, but I called into an online talk show. And the guy said, you know, hey, I, I, I make the best decision that I can based upon the information that I have. And when I get more information that contradicts contradicts what I thought, I'm not afraid to revise my 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 decision, but it's always based on the facts that I have at the time. Right. Totally agree with that. Yeah, I I think that we can become so paralyzed waiting for 100% of the facts to come in. Now, this, and I hate saying that, Galen, because sometimes it makes me feel like, you know, it's giving a green light to rushing into a decision, and I'm not saying that at all. But if you've gotten in as much information as as you possibly can in this moment, then I've learned that is the moment to make the decision. Now, there will be new information that will introduce itself to you, um... And it will come up and you have to possibly adjust or you are either affirmed in your thinking. But I've learned from an innovation standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, it's healthy to make decisions as soon as you possibly can with the information you have. I mean, given the conversation we were having before we started recording uh, this podcast about transitioning into new business lines, uh, figuring out how to monetize those business lines, I am guilty at times of overthinking things when I have the best information now to make a good decision now and move forward with what I have now. This is why this quote started to speak to me uh, when it said the thoughts that you think and the statements you make regarding yourself determine your mental attitude. And, and, and so for those of you that don't know, I love self-leadership theory, and it's founded upon three principles, cognitive strategies, behavioral strategies, and natural rewards. And everything that stems from self-leadership, let alone just regular leadership, stems from cognitive strategies first. What you think is what you're going to do, and what you do will ultimately determine if you find reward in the process. And I found in my career that making a decision to succeed, to win, to pursue this strategy ultimately results in the attitude I have mentally and it results in behavioral outcomes that I portray. And I see it play out over and over and over again. But I have sabotaged myself at times when thinking about new business uh, ventures and ideas because I overthink it. And because I overthink it, I end up paralyzing myself. And because I paralyze myself, I look up and six months later, I've done nothing. I recently made a decision to, to I'm, I'm always working on that personally, but I made a decision to pursue something and to give it my all now with what I have. And what I have isn't much. I don't have much of a team to speak of. I don't have much volunteers to speak of, but this idea, this concept means a lot to me, right? And if I wait for the perfect scenario, the perfect storm, it'll be another three to four years before I end up launching this idea, this concept that means so much to me, and it'll have been eight years wasted. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean so many of us, 
fall victim to that scenario that you just described. You know, we, uh, you know, this, this quote that we're talking about was by Napoleon Hill. And one of the things that Napoleon Hill talks about in his book is uh, he talks about the sixth sense. And, mm. you know, basically this idea that based upon your education, based upon your experiences, based upon everything that you've been through, we all have a sense for what we need to do. We, we all have this gut feeling for, you know, what we need to do. The, the question is, do you follow your sixth sense or do you reach out for more endorsements from someone else oh, because man. they've got 1.2 million followers? Uh, you know, a, a book that a book that I a book that I enjoy reading from time to time talks about uh, if you if you trouble the spirit, right? That you've got you've got this this Holy Spirit inside of you that kind of guides you in the right direction. But if you don't follow <laughs> that guiding, um, mm-hmm. eventually it's going to stop speaking to you. It's like, well, you're clearly yeah. not paying attention. So, uh, you know, I'm going to, I will stop sharing my insights because you're not paying attention. And so one of the things Napoleon Hill talks about is uh, paying attention to your sixth sense. Um, because by following your sixth sense, uh, you're going to do a lot of things, uh, William, that you just described. You're going to put yourself in a position to take advantage of opportunities that um, you would not have, you would not have even been aware of had you not done the things that your gut told you that you needed to do um yeah Hmm. so you know hey here's 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 a here's a practical experience uh at least in my life uh there there was a time when when i don't know 20 years ago when my wife and i first uh got married where uh i would say to her uh, there is always supposed to be a parking space for me near the front door of whatever building we're getting ready to go into. I don't care where, what I don't care what the building is. If it's a mall, I don't care. There's supposed to be a parking space near the front door for me. And I'm not talking about driving around the parking lot for hours and hours until someone leaves. I drive in, I drive to the front door, and there's a there's supposed to be a parking space for me. And inevitably, I would drive in. I'd drive to the front door and there would be a parking space there. And my wife would say, how do you, how do you keep doing that? And it was because that's what I was anticipating. That's what I was expecting. Uh, Well, life happens and you have kids and you have a job and you have a mortgage and you have all these other things. And eventually I stopped believing that there was a parking space for me at the front of the door uh, at the front uh the front door of whatever building i was going to so i would start driving towards the back looking for a parking space it wouldn't be too far to walk right and then i'd find a parking space you know it's a pretty good parking space maybe it's two aisles over i mean that's not bad that's that's pretty good right but that's what i was looking for and that's what i found and what i realized now that i've i've had to do this attitude this mental check I had to realize that that's what was happening. And now I've gone back to driving to the front of the parking lot near the front door. And there is a parking space for me every time. But I had to change my mental attitude. I had to change what I was looking for, what I was expecting, what I thought I was entitled to. Because this is all about entitlement. It's all about entitlement. What do you you believe you're entitled to? 
And I was going to say, Galen, that this is also about expectation, man. You know, what do we expect of ourselves? What do we expect of our environment? What do we expect of people who we invite into our space? When we don't have expectations of folks, things stop happening, dude. And um, God, that was just so good. You expect the parking spot near the door, near the front door every time you come in. I, and and but now I will tell you, Galen, when you have expectations of yourself, uh, it doesn't always go go over well. Um, you know, with people in your life or people who uh, who are on the receiving end or who are are observing the expectations you have. I have seen, you know, when I've taken over teams and started to restructure culture, restructure organizations. Uh, people get frustrated and upset and disappointed when you start to expect things. Uh, when I come to the office, I expect order. I expect performance. I expect updates. I expect cleanliness. I expect A, B, and C. And when you start holding people accountable to those expectations, man, it just doesn't go over well. But that doesn't change, nor should it change, the expectations you have of people or of yourself or your situation or your circumstance. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I totally agree. I mean, this, this whole thing about expectation, I think you're 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 on to something really, really important here. Uh, and think, let's think about you know, we we started this by talking about um, how much we talk to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And much yeah. of what we say to ourselves has been informed by other people. It's been informed yeah. by uh, you know what our what our parents have said, what what we heard on the news or whatever. We take that in. And let's think about if you were to, I mean, this is, this is in the cyber, uh, cyber sales, uh, week, uh, right after Thanksgiving. Uh, so think about if you were to buy something on Amazon or some online retailer, uh, we're probably not going to just buy it. We're going to check reviews. We're going <laughs> to check how many other people have bought it. We're going to do some evaluation. We're going to vet this thing, right? Before yeah. we buy an item. Although we want an iron, we're not going to just buy any iron. We're going to we're going to we're going to vet it. We're going to make sure that this is consistent. That it's going to do the things that we needed to do. There's a certain standard that I have before I buy anything, and I, I'm going to make sure that you that this thing passes a standard. That's right. Do we do the same thing relative to thoughts of people that we have give us advice? I mean, think about right. the people that give you advice, either intentionally or unintentionally. We just let anything come in our head, and uh, you know I, I'm really trying to be mindful of the people that that I go to for advice, uh, and then even when I do go to them for advice, it's it's not about what do you think I should do. Uh, I've got to be very very specific about this is what I'm trying to do. Uh, what's the best resource for getting this particular thing? Because mm-hmm. if I make the conversation too broad. I'm going to end up giving my vision over to someone else. And, um, and, you know, back to this whole thing about making decisions quickly, uh, the best way to stall a good decision. Napoleon, Napoleon Hill talks about most great, most great ideas die in incubation because we start talking to other people before, before the idea is is fully baked or or ready uh, to be tested. So true. So true. I, I often try to prevent other people from giving me their feedback until I've vet, you know, you know, uh, gotten my own thoughts together. 
because I don't want to be persuaded either way unless I want to be persuaded. I at least want to contribute to the conversation intelligently. And, and I, I say that often. And then other thing you mentioned too, man, um, about asking specific questions. I, I have too many times um, asked people for feedback in a broad sense and have left those conversations feeling inadequate, stupid, insecure, not ready. And I've matured to the point, as you said, man, where I'm asking specific questions to the things that I don't have the answer to because my thought hasn't been developed or I just don't know the answer and I'm willing to submit to the thinking or the opinion of someone else if it makes sense to me within the context of the ideas that I do have already firmed up. But to get to that point, you know, Galen, you're implying that one has to have some sort of solidification of the concepts that they have been working on before soliciting any advice, minor or major, from anyone. Because there's no other way to determine that someone's feedback or input is relevant if you don't know what you're thinking or what you've come up with has been solid or been put through the ringer and you're ready to go and move on, move forward with it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think, you know, one of the things that, that I, that I know you're, you're passionate about because we've talked about this in the past is the difference between vision uh, and strategy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think every, every leader has to have a vision. Uh, right. I, I think, I think, leaders do three things. They, they paint a clear picture of what the future looks like and, and what success could look like. They remove barriers that, that might stand in the way and they inspire people to get on board, right? Those are kind of the three things I talk about all the time. But I think the most important of those is the vision because it, the vision comes first. And um, once you lock, I, I can lock onto a vision and I can say, hey, look, this is where we're trying to go. I am not quite positive of the best way to get there. What are your thoughts about the best way to get to this vision? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I feel absolutely comfortable reaching out for advice on strategy. But a leader should never relinquish their responsibility for, for vision because that's what we need leaders for. I totally agree with you, man. And here, here's the second part of this quote that just got me. If you have a worthwhile objective, find the one reason, not the many, <laughs> find the one absolute reason you can achieve what you've come up with rather than dwell on the hundreds of reasons why you can't. I, I have, I've been, I'm guilty, man. I don't know what else to say. I've been guilty of thinking about every reason why not and totally drowning the one reason why I could or should. And I have lost opportunities because I didn't take advantage of that one reason I should. I have delayed progress because of that. And, 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 and also, let me reverse this. There's always one reason why you shouldn't do stuff. There's a million reasons why you should, and there's that one reason why you shouldn't. And I've walked into uh, mistakes and failures because I didn't listen to that one reason I shouldn't. 
that one reason, Galen, can be, as we talked about earlier, that one decision you're making in that moment that will have a ripple effect, good or bad. Yeah, and and um, Napoleon Hill would, would, would tie everything that you just said back to your subconscious. You know, he would say mm-hmm. your sixth sense tells you what you you know what you need to do, right? We we all know what we need to do, and uh, and we know usually at our at, at a subconscious level. The problem is our subconscious, that gut, does not control language, and so it's hard mm-hmm. for us to articulate why we should do, why we feel so strongly about doing what it is that we do, and so so when someone asks you, so. You know, William, you, you seem to be really passionate about this course that you're taking. Why are you so passionate? You, and when you can't put language around that 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 answer, then you start to second guess yourself. And so now we're back into deal or no deal. Now you're talking <laughs> yourself out of this one decision that you that you were prepared to make because you can't put language around what your subconscious is telling you, what everything in you is telling you is right. Um, and I, I believe that um, the the smarter you are, the more intelligent you are, the more learned you are, the more <laughs> reasons you can you can figure out why not to do something. Yeah, right. Because we can we can construct all of these scenarios uh, uh, why this won't work, and um, we talk ourselves out of incredible opportunities. I mean, I, I've seen so many. I've read so many stories about, you know, uh, millionaires, billionaires with barely an, uh, a high school education. And then you've got all these MBAs and PhDs that, you know, are making, uh, that are working for those, <laughs> that are working for those uh, uh, people with less than a high school education. Because uh, the more education we have, and you know, I, I'm going to say, ouch, right? Uh, I mean, the more advanced degrees you have, the more tempting it is to find the research that shows that you shouldn't do this thing. Mm. Wow. So do you do you think that education, formal or non not formal, creates paralysis as well? Unnecessary paralysis? Uh, well, I, I, I think it can. I think it can. <clears throat> if you're not mindful, if you're not attuned to your sixth sense, uh, if you believe that everything that you do has to make sense intellectually, uh, because I think I think we are we are emotional beings first, and we're intellectual be- beings second. Uh, and if you only do what makes sense then, uh, yeah, you're going to be paralyzed trying to make these things make sense when your gut is telling you that it's right, right? That's why we, that's why we all stay in jobs that we hate. But the jobs, mm. you know, you make all kinds of money, so it would make sense to leave this job. I mean, how would you pay the mortgage? And if you're married, then what you, what's your wife going to say? But in your heart, you know, you need, you, you've got a calling to go do something else. That's what your gut is telling you. But you're finding all the reasons, all the intellectual reasons why it would make sense to stay in a place that your gut is telling you you need to leave. Same thing with marriages. We do the exact same thing with marriages. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this. How 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 can we or how have you put words to the gut feelings you felt? 
much like uh, everyone else, uh, I've done it very poorly. Uh, mm. And I think at a certain point, you got to <laughs> stop trying. I think you got to stop trying to put words to the gut feeling that you have and just trust your gut and just say, uh, I believe that this is what's going to happen and I need to prepare myself to go down this path. Uh, and uh, I'll get support, I'll get information, I'll get help relative to strategy, but I'm not willing to compromise this vision that I have. Um, you know, think, think about all the great inventions, uh, all the great innovations, all the great inventions and, and discoveries uh, that have occurred throughout mankind. And they all start with something that made absolutely no sense. I mean, it makes no sense that you can walk into a room, flip a switch, and the entire room will light up. That makes that's crazy. Right. The thought that I could look up in the sky and see the moon, and and somehow figure out a way to have someone walk on the moon. Are you are you nuts? Right. But someone's gut someone's gut told them that. Yeah, that that makes sense. Now we just need help with strategy. We need help with figuring out how to do that, not what to do. To substantiate it. I mean, that's interesting. So I I recorded a podcast, um, Communication for Leaders, Part 1, and I was talking about um, just getting out of your head your own thoughts. And I, I was sharing that a lot of leaders struggle with communication because they they are steadily trying to find the most politically correct way to say what they're thinking, that when they finally talk, what they say doesn't convey the actual thought itself. And what I found successful for me and sometimes um, disruptive to relationships is to just give the unfiltered truth as I think it and let me and the person I'm communicating with wrestle with that truth together. Ultimately, I've discovered that I find better ways to say what I'm thinking as I look at the reaction of the person, as I wrestle with that with that person. They give me their feedback and their thinking. But if I overthink it, if I over... Um, if I add too much poetry to my thinking, then I end up saying something that I didn't really intend to say, therefore miscommunicating my thoughts, giving you the wrong impression. And I share that in the context of the gut question, because perhaps the answer to that question is just saying what you feel. Even if it's a, a, a mixture of puzzle pieces that currently don't go together, or don't look like they make sense, put it out there. And as you said, uh, there are people in our lives, and I've been calling people in our lives lately pillars, people who are who have standing in our lives, who have been given foundational positions in our lives, who can hear the pieces of the puzzle and see the pattern in it to help you put it together. But there's no way for that pattern to be seen or heard or digest it if it just doesn't come out in its raw form i mean when you hear that how does how does that sit with you when you hear the concept of just getting it out in its raw form unfiltered as is yeah i think i think you're absolutely right 
I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, uh, I've done a couple pieces along those lines as well. You know, one uh, talks about how uh, people tend to mistrust their leaders, uh, what their leaders say, because they know very often that whatever the leader is saying from main stage has been written by marketing and has been vetted by their attorneys. And what people really want to know is, what is my leader thinking? Well, how does my leader mm. feel about this? Does my leader have my interest in at, uh, at, in his heart, or is he only thinking about himself? And um, usually, they detect followers detect that truth based on watching the micro expressions that come across the face of the leader when they talk. Right? It's, oh, it's yeah. something at a sub a subconscious level. Uh, those micro expressions and it's in their eyes. And that's why people who make their living uh, on deception, whether it's a poker player, whether it's a magician, whether it's anyone who has to deceive in order to make their living, they have to, they have to redirect your eyes somehow because yeah. that's what everyone, uh, that's what everyone does. So when you're, your to your point, when your vision or your idea has has been massaged and and manipulated and sterilized and politically corrected and all of that. You you lose the pathos that uh, I think it was Socrates uh, that talked about. You know the passions, uh, and uh, you know you can tell right? in your gut. You know what the right answer is. The question is, uh, are you willing to say what what that answer is? I, I think you I think you are absolutely on to something. Again, wow, I, I, wow, wow, man, and I mean, I think that I mean, even even just this podcast show and the idea of it, it it's a reflection of the last part of this quote that Napoleon Hill talks about, which is find the one reason why you can or you should, and. There are other leadership podcasts out there, good content, good presenters, good information. Um, but for me, when I first met you on Blab and started this with friends, started this conversation with friends, you know, several years ago, it was just about sharing with other people what I'm thinking, what I'm learning what I'm observing and allowing the audience to process and to navigate and to chew on it because there are ways that I may say something that makes complete sense to a group of people that may not ever hear the podcast that I listen to or read the books that I read or read the articles that I read or watch the YouTube videos that I watch. That's one reason that, you know, I decided to do leadership conversations and, as you talked about having smart friends, man, like what you were sharing with me earlier about the businesses that the business you were running um, and just the shock. <laughs> I don't know if you could see, you could have saw my face, but man, I was just like, dude, really? <laughs> like, you know, it was exciting. It was shocking. It was like, man, it was a lot of emotions. But being able to have people who have been through things that I have not been through is fascinating to me. 
And that conversation needs to be had. I mean, maybe we will have another conversation about just business and all together. But I've never owned a retail business. The business that I've ran uh, is, is a real estate business, um, not retail at all. You know, that's very, I mean, it's consumer driven, but not to the extent that of the business you were running. Um, and even the other LLCs we have are not to the extent that you were talking about. They were different, just different businesses altogether. And I can't say that I would ever look in the direction of a retail business, but to lean on people, um, to learn from people based upon what they decided to do has been fascinating to me. And to have those conversations over the past four years with smart people who are doing things in totally different arenas for different reasons has been super helpful to me and helpful to the reason why I've continued with leadership conversations for the past four years in some form or some way. And I think that as Napoleon is talking about and as you and the reason why you included it in this book is that one reason is all you need to pursue that job, to pursue that career, to pursue that new business opportunity, to pursue that relationship, to have children, to buy that house, to buy that car. That one good reason makes sense. And and let me say this, Galen, that one good reason doesn't mean that decision does not come without sacrifice. It comes with sacrifice. It comes with a level of intentionality you still need to have, right? That career comes with sacrifice. You're giving up something to get it. That business opportunity, that marriage, that child, you're giving up something for a season to pursue it, but it doesn't make it a bad reason to get it or to pursue it. Very good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, I think you're absolutely right. And that, and that, uh, that's where, you know, going back to what what you said earlier, that's why your conviction have to be your convictions have to be so so strong, because there is going to be a testing period. Uh, there are going to be many 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 things trying to get you to sell your briefcase for another briefcase. Going back to deal or no deal, right? Wow. And if you are not convinced, then you're going to be you're going to sway in the wind like a reed in the water, uh, and you're not going to have any kind of direction. And time is back to leadership. Uh, I believe your job as a leader is to uh, help people clarify that reason why we should pursue this direction, and help them uh, ferret through all of the reasons why they might want to uh, they might want to uh, quit. You know, quitting wow. is only quitting, quitting is only difficult the first time you do it. After the first time, it becomes easier and easier, and eventually it becomes a, a, a viable strategy for life. So if you can keep, yeah. as a leader, if you can keep your people from quitting that first time, then half your battle is your half your battle is won. Uh, you know, there there is a uh, there's a story uh, that says uh, it's a leadership story that says if you want to be an effective leader, uh, first thing you got to do is you got to burn the boats. You, you got to make it clear that quitting is not an option. Yeah, so you 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 got to you got to make it very clear that there is no going back. Success is the only option. The only question is how. Right. That's the only question. Is is how are we? What's the what's the road that we're going to take? We're going to take this hill. The question is which road will we take? And um, you know another another guy I like to listen to is a guy by the name of Zig Ziglar. 
And he says, you've got to be stronger than your strongest excuse. And you've just got to decide that success is the option. That is the only option. And when you're a leader, you've got to not only do that for yourself, you've got to be able to do that for, your, for the people uh, under your leadership. So I know where I heard that quote from. I, I heard it from my mentor, Grant Cardone. And I was reading one of his books and and he was describing a season in one of his businesses where it just wasn't going well. And he just doubled down and told everybody, we're, we're burning all the boats. We're going to figure this out. Hella high water. And um, you're either on, it, on the island or you're not. You know, there's no excuses. There's no lifeboat just in case. It is what it is. And I think that that mental transition, Galen, is um, scary for a lot of people who are learning that what they want requires an all-in approach. And we prefer, because of our insecurities, a life raft just in case. There is no life raft. <laughs> there is no life raft, bro. Like it, 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 it's, it's, it is what it is. My wife and I moved to Connecticut four years ago. No life raft, dude. And our story um, is 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 not abnormal to most people who take risks. But there was no life raft for our marriage, for our parenting, for our children, for our finances, for our careers. And we there were things that happened that didn't go as we planned, obviously. And, and it happens to all of us. But the reality is you're either all in on the decision to move, to launch, to start, to marry, to have children, to, to acquire or whatever, or you're not. And there's just no turning back. I remember <clears throat> years ago, uh, I, I lost my real estate business and it took me a couple of years to get my mind back into the game. And when I finally did, I was listening to um, a podcast by uh, by Sean Terry. Um, and ultimately, it, 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 the way I describe his podcast, it's not even about real estate. I mean, it is, but it's really about sales. One of the most amazing podcasts that I uh, refer other people to when it talk when when it comes to sales. Of course, when it comes to real estate as well. But ultimately, what he kept saying for 100 episodes straight is to just take the first step, man, and just do it. And the first step, Galen, to getting back into real estate years ago wasn't about the first deal. At least for me, it wasn't. I needed to make sure what this guy, Sean Terry, was teaching made sense and it worked. And I made the first step putting my uh, marketing materials out. And that was a huge step for me. But it was the second week that I put the materials out and I got a call. Let me know that this was real. And it was that one reason I needed to move forward. It wasn't about the sacrifice of of marketing. It wasn't about the sacrifice of waking up early in the morning in the cold uh, winters of Philadelphia to market and to sell uh, real estate. It wasn't about visiting homes and and meeting um, sellers and buyers. It wasn't all about that. It was about that one reason to move forward, and it was that phone call. Even though nothing came from that phone call, it didn't matter to me. The fact that somebody called me from my marketing material let me know that I can do this. 
and it changed everything, dude. It changed everything, and it was all about jumping on that island. And and in fact, while on that island, Galen, you figure out how to do stuff better. You figure out how to be more resourceful. You figure out how to be um, more efficient. And you start to not only survive, you start to thrive on the island. And now you got to defend your turf because other people are looking at what you've, you what you've created and are trying to get a copy or a piece of that. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that is it. I mean, that is it exactly. I mean, you know, what we've been talking about in various ways and what your, what your last story just demonstrates is that there's power in making a decision, just making a decision. <sighs> Yeah, and, and and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about one of those decisions where you you choose this or you choose that. No, just deciding. I'm making this happen. <laughs> I'm deciding. You know, I had a, had an opportunity to have a couple of conversations with Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, and uh, one, one of the things that he says, uh, I think it's his, I think this is in one of his books as well, but says sex, success by its very nature, demands a period of overcoming, a process mm-hmm. by which we become strong in broken places. And mm-hmm. um, if we're going to succeed in anything, we're going to have to overcome something. And in that overcoming, we're actually becoming the person that we're going to need to be in this new place. So I, I think, I think you know, your story just kind of brings that to life. Man, that that is so huge. It requires a decision. And I I will say this as we close, Galen. um, Make the best decision with the best information you have in the moment. And and be secure in that decision. I'll also say this, that it is okay that you made the wrong decision and you failed. It wasn't time wasted. It was a time of learning and development from that failure and that means that you don't have to worry about making that same mistake ever again which will save you time money heartache depression etc those lines for 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 me you know one of the last things that i'll share is and i I truly believe this i believe that everyone is designed to be the greatest in the world at something Mm. and therefore your life's mission is to find your thing and help other people find theirs so that we can all get on with, with being the greatest in the world. And um, the, the, the more that you can live in that space where you're destined to be the greatest in the world, I think the better off you'll be, the happier you'll be, and the better off the world will be as well. Man, that's powerful. That is powerful. Folks, this uh, is Leadership Conversations, and I, I just spent the last hour with my friend Galen and we were talking about the 200 Powerful Leadership and Personal Excellence excellence quotes written by Galen Bingham himself. And we were talking about quote number 18. Remember the thoughts that you think and the statements you make regarding yourself determine your mental attitude. If you have a worthwhile objective, find the one reason why you can achieve it rather than hundreds of reasons why you can't by Napoleon Hill. Galen, thanks for being on the show, bro. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Loved it. I love hanging out with smart people.